Please be seated. And uh, as we come to look at God's word together, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to these young Christians in Philippi. And we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit this morning would speak to each one of us, take my words and let them be, Lord, from you as we look at this word together. Amen. Well, I've titled this sermon this morning, The Purpose of the Christian Community. We're starting a new series of seven weeks going through the Epistle of Philippians. It's quite a short letter of only four chapters. So can I encourage you to really delve into this letter? Read it through at home, perhaps all at one sitting because then you'll get a clear insight into Paul's messages and concerns he has for this new young church found within the Roman city of Philippi, a cosmopolitan city, a city that is in a lot of ways not too dissimilar to ours, apart from the technology. So, what's the purpose of this letter? I'm going to spend a few minutes just doing an introduction into this letter before we actually get into the passage in front of us this morning. Well, the overall aim of the passage, the aim of the uh, book, is to encourage the Philippian Christians. He's trying to encourage them to live single-minded lives, to trust their Lord in all things and in all circumstances, and to live lives that bring glory and praise to God. And as I was thinking and reading about this, I was wondering, well, what's the purpose of my life? What's the purpose of our lives and the lives of the communities that we are a part of? Well, these are often given today, aren't they, in what is called mission statements. We have one here written on the beam outside in the meeting place. In the last uh, four weeks or so, I've been teaching in a school in the western part of our county. And I was trying one lesson with a group of 14-year-olds. They were not uh, very eager to learn, and they were not very eager to actually concentrate. And I was trying to explain to them the purpose of education and why it was important to work hard. I asked a somewhat truculent young lady what she wanted to do on leaving school. Her answer was, live off benefits. Now, whether she was being serious, whether she was being truthful, I didn't pursue. But it was very sad to me. We all need a purpose in life, don't we? And the mission statement or the purpose for the lives of these young Christians, Paul says in verse 11 that their lives bring glory and praise to God. But how is this to happen? Well, we will see as we go through this passage. But the whole book of Philippians breathes warmth, doesn't it, and cordiality. The keynote is joy 
both in verbal terms and noun forms. The word joy is found 16 times in 14 chapters. But what is joy? Is it just happiness? Being all bubbly and being really right with the world. Well, perhaps we could have the first slide, please. Kay Warren says this about joy in her book, Choose Joy, because happiness isn't enough. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Nothing about happy feelings there, because we all know happiness is fleeting and temporary. Psalm 33, verse 20 to 33 says this, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our health and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. So are we joyful? Are we confident in God that he is in control of our lives? Paul is able to rejoice in the most trying of times, in captivity. A man whose life is filled with joy despite his captivity and awaiting news of possible death. This joy, Paul teaches in Galatians 5, verse 22, is the fruit of the Spirit. He writes this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And Paul is able to be like this because of the resources of prayer and being united with Christ. And the prospect of the future, the future that believes in the Lord's return. We see this in our reading in front of us this morning. But he is also concerned about the others, and part of his joy is seen in the prayer he offers on their behalf, seen in verses 4, 9, and 10. Now, as we read through this letter, we see two important words that come up frequently. The first word is this, fellowship, or koinonia, chapter 1, verse 5, for your partnership in the gospel, sharing in the gospel, meaning here is your cooperation towards the gospel. The Philippians indicated this reality of their partnership not by just a quiet enjoyment of it, but by a keen activity in the interest of it. And as a Christian virtue, they show generosity as a hallmark of their believing lives. And Paul is praising God for his work of grace in the lives of his people who have shown the genuineness of their faith by their gifts. So the first common word that comes up in this letter is fellowship. The second important word is gospel. It's found seven times in the epistle. And in our passage this morning, it's found in verses 5 and 7. It denotes the apostolic ministry and works of evangelism, which God entrusted into Paul's hand, helped by Timothy and others. And the Philippians here have helped by their gifts and their fellowship. And Paul was prepared to suffer for the sake of the gospel and Christ made known. So there we have it. 
a little introduction to the book of the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians. If you haven't got your Bibles open, please open them again to 1178, our passage this morning. Now, most commentators say that Paul was in some way imprisoned when he wrote this letter, whether he was under house house imprisonment or actually in a prison, we're not sure of. But Paul writes in a way that's encouraging and inclusive. See how he identifies with these people and those that the letter is addressed. He says this, to Timothy and he are servants, or other translations put it as slaves. In other words, they're not of high renown. They don't hold positions above those at Philippi. No, they're right at the bottom of the social pile. They're slaves, they're servants of Christ, and they're fully owned by him. And so Paul identifies the Christians at Philippi as saints, including those that hold positions within the church as deacons and overseers. And as such, they're all united together in the work of the gospel. And so, in our 11 verses that we've got in front of us this morning, we see how Paul encourages the followers of Jesus at Philippi, and he prays for them. Now, as I was considering this, I thought, well, this is really a template, isn't it? Or an example for us to follow as a church and as individual members of the church. Within this template, we see Paul's priorities. Firstly, priority number one. All the followers of Jesus are joined together in the work of the gospel. This means that they are all equal. We are saints in this work of spreading the good news of Jesus and his death on the cross. This is the great commission given by Jesus, as recorded in Matthew's Gospel. And this is the great commission the fellowship of Jesus' believers still has today. There may well be different ways that this will happen. We're given different gifts, as were those in the early church. Paul's a theologian. Paul's a preacher. The members of Philippi supported his work through financial giving. They were joined together in the gospel work. But they were of equal importance in this work of the gospel. They were a part of the whole, and so are all followers of Jesus down through the ages. So let us not leave the spreading of the gospel to just a few specialists. Let us all join together as Jesus' followers in this work. So, priority number one, we are joined together in the gospel. Priority number two, prayer. We read that Paul prays for them. The work of Paul is preaching, but what comes through here is that Paul spends lots of time in prayer. Prayer is mentioned three times in this short passage. How does he pray? What's he pray about? Well, he prays with joyfulness and thanksgiving. Look at verse 3. 
we read that Paul is thankful. He thanks God for all of them, for their help in spreading the gospel message. And the Philippian Christians did this, as I've said, by financial giving. But I expect also through their friendship and prayer. So they are united together in purpose. I don't know if you've ever noticed how it's difficult to be angry or judgmental concerning others if you're praying for them. Prayer unites us. And Paul thanks God for them in prayer. And this must have been a real encouragement to them as they listened to this letter being read out aloud at their gatherings. And I believe that we too here can be encouraged when others thank God for us because it gives us value, security and encouragement. So let's do this together, both in our public prayers and our private prayers, being thankful to God for what he has given us, that he has given each one of us to work for him. But prayer is not only thankful. We read in verse 4 that he prays joyfully. Now, this is a great picture, isn't it? This is a man who is either under house arrest or in a dark prison and an unpleasant place, yet he has joy. He prays for these believers. Truly, this is a gift of the Holy Spirit and one that we can ask for. But why is he joyful? He's joyful because they are part of the work of spreading the joy of the gospel message. Now, if you remember, Paul had had a real life-changing experience when he'd met Jesus on that road to Damascus. We know also that he had spent about three years in a desert with Jesus before his ministry began. And these experiences that so transformed his life that he changed direction completely. He went from killing the followers of Jesus to preaching the good news of Jesus. And he is joyful that others can share in this work. But this joy is also as a result of Paul's confidence, Paul's confidence in God's ability to carry out this change, not only in his life, but in the lives of these people in Philippi. And so we read in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, this good work didn't stop with these Philippians because the day of the Lord's return hadn't arrived. No, it carried on with other believers who lived later. And so this includes us because the day of Christ's second coming hasn't yet arrived. We await in hope for the return of Jesus. But this confidence gives Paul joy. So as I was reading and praying about this, I asked myself, am I confident that Jesus is carrying out the good work in me? That I'm being changed, that we're being changed more and more into the likeness of Christ? Because that should give us joy. So are we confident then in this definition of joy that I gave you at the beginning? Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, 
the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Well, we can be confident, can't we, this morning, that Jesus will complete his work in us, helping us to grow to become more like Jesus when he returns a second time. And we can encourage one another by sharing together how our lives are being changed by Christ. And so we can encourage one another. The Philippians shared in the blessing of God. But what about Paul's prayer? Well, we've seen that he prays with joy and thanksgiving. What's the priority for Paul's prayers? And what are our priorities that we pray for one another? Well, Paul wishes for them to bring glory to God and they will do this if they are spiritually clean. And so we read in verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound or overflow more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the gift of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and prayer of Jesus. It's quite a statement, isn't it? It's quite a statement by Paul. It reflects, of course, the teaching of Jesus. Because when Jesus was asked, what's the great command that we should follow, Jesus replies, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart and being and love others as you love yourselves. And Paul prays that their love may abound more and more. But what are they to love? What are they to love? Well, they are to love that they should pray that they keep on growing within knowledge and depth of spiritual insight. But why should he pray this? Well, he prays it so they might keep on growing in spiritual knowledge insight. And I wondered, as I was thinking about this, when was the last time that we prayed for those that we love in our Christian community, whether that be in our small groups, whether that be those that come to church on a Sunday morning, that they will grow in spiritual insight and depth. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge because it takes our prayers away from our physical needs to our spiritual needs. But why is this so important to Paul? Well, it's important because it will help the followers of Jesus in Philippi to see the differences between right and wrong and being inwardly clean, that they might produce the fruits of righteousness. In other words, their practical lives may be lives that are pure and wholesome because this will bring glory to God. Now, you might think, well, this is just a one-off. But Paul's preaching isn't confined to this passage. It's a theme that's found in many of his writings to the young churches. We read this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. 
We instructed you how to live in order to please God, that each of you should control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable. Surely, this is a good reminder to us. Are we encouraging and teaching the need for us to live holy lives, lives that bring glory to God? So there we have it. That's the passage in front of us this morning. And I want to conclude and to finish off with asking three questions of you, or three challenges. And if you remember only three points this morning, please take these away with you. First challenge, first question. Are we joined together in partnership in the gospel? Are we participating in the spread of the gospel in our communities? Of course, today, this can be at various scales. It can be local in our community, in the streets around us here, in the place where we work or the place where we go to college or to school. But it can also be countrywide and it can be international. But we may well ask ourselves, how can we be joined in partnership with the spreading the gospel message? Well, Paul seems to indicate that we can be joined together in financial support so that the money that God has given us can be used to help spread the gospel. Now, of course, there are mirrored ways in which we can do this. Prayer is needed for wisdom to know where our financial gifts are given. But the priority, though, will be for those finances given to go to the practical spreading of the gospel message, the message that will offer hope to people and will bring glory to Jesus. But of course, there are other practical ways that we can be partners in the gospel, in prayerful support, in practical outworkings together, whether that be in small groups, large groups, little groups, young people, old people. There are many ways that we can be joined in partnership. But perhaps the local church is the first call on our discipleship. If you are unsure how you can help here in Norwich, then do talk to Alan or to Will or to one of the church wardens if you want any ideas of how you can help in the spread of the gospel message here in Norwich. But secondly... The second challenge, the second question. Are we praying and working together for love to abound between us as a congregation in a time of change? We're in a church that's made up of various ages, various groups of people, different experiences, people holding different theologies and responsibilities. Let us pray that love may abound and be seen in practical ways and actions. Remember Jesus' command, we are to love one another. And of course this is not love of the eros type, love of sexuality or emotional, but it's love that thinks more of others, puts others first in front of self. In verse 9, Paul prays for the Philippian Christians that their love will overflow, that their love will keep on flowing out to others, not based on feelings, 
but on what Christ has done for them. But let's pray, not just for love, but pray with joy. Joy that recognises that each one of us is saved by grace. Each one of us is loved by Jesus, who died for us. We can pray with joy for our fellow workers, members of his church. And we can pray with confidence that each one of us are a part of God's plan for our lives here at present. But thirdly, third challenge, that we grow in greater knowledge of Christ and deeper understanding and moral discernment. As a community together, let's pray that we might seek to grow spiritually in knowledge and discernment. Are we encouraging one another in seeking righteousness? Let's actively be seeking the gifts of God, including the spiritual gifts that Paul writes about in Corinthians. Paul indicates that it is a need of a part of a growing Christian community. Well, in an age when we're all bombarded by TV, by material, by sex and violence, do we give guidance on lifestyle issues, how we live? Are we strong on teaching what is moral and what Jesus expects of his disciples? Of course, this goes right against the liberal age in which we live. We need to pray, don't we, for one another. We need to pray for our young people that they can be shown in love what the lives of Jesus' followers looks like, how we manage relationships, what pure lives look like. So there we have it. The three challenges. Being joined together in partnership, praying for love to abound, the growth of spiritual knowledge. Why are these three so important to Paul? Well, they're important because, to return to my first point about what's our purpose of life, in verse 11 we read, Paul says, it brings glory and praise of God. And that is the purpose of the lives of followers of Jesus. So, whatever our paths in life will bring, and we're all different, the overall aim for them is to bring the glory to God, a truly transforming thought on which to end. Amen.